With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You are now entering Odyssey Station. Please remain seated until docking is complete. Odyssey, dare to wonder. And now, your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour with Dean Haglund and Phil Lairness. are hearing my voice and it's 9 p.m. Eastern on what? Monday, December 2nd, the year of our Lord 2019. <laughs> it's because you are tuned into Odyssey Radio. What? Has what? And good for you. Yeah, really. way to do it. I, mean, I am Phil Lairness, independent yes. filmmaker, acting and filmmaking teacher, California <laughs> State Certified Violence Prevention Specialist, yes. and the Vice President of the Los Angeles Breakfast Club Charitable oh, Foundation. I didn't know that. All those things are true facts. Wow. And across the table from me, back in Los Angeles after far too long, it's the Motor City Madman, actor. Right. Improv comic, sure. Artist, okay. Illustrator, yes. Inventor, uh huh. Writer and producer, <laughs> yes. Dean Haglund. Hi everybody, how are you? You forgot ex dancer. <laughs> well, no, I didn't get no. into what we used to. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know, I could still, I could still talk about not dancing. Frequently. And, and that is what we frequently talk about <laughs> on the show, no. is you not dancing. Not dancing Oh, my anywhere. goodness. I was, uh, we're going to talk about this, but I was somewhere <laughs> on Beulah Island, which is technically in Arkansas, but you can only access it from Mississippi. Wow. It's in the river. It's wow. a hunting island. Good and you got to take a bridge to get to it. And anyway, because you know, yeah. if you know anything at all about me, I'm You're an a big out hunter. rugged outdoorsman. <laughs> and you love hunting um, on islands. Only with a bowie knife in my bare hands, though. In your teeth. Naked. Yes. Too, smeared in yak's blood. Because have you ever seen blood in the moonlight? It appears quite black. Okay, so I am uh, with uh, family yes. uh, by, by marriage there. 
And uh, it was great because this this woman I'm a big fan of, yes. Amy Gates, uh, showed us uh, on the island all the places her now husband failed to propose. <laughs> so it's like all these places, like, this is where George Gates failed to propose. Oh, like all the, time, all, the all the times the time was perfect. And the moon was out. And it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Fantastic. It didn't happen. That's a hey, good tour. Uh, the name of this show yes, is Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Right. So it's an hour this time. <laughs> yeah. We hope. Uh, it has. <laughs> yeah. If you listen to old shows, uh, none of them are an hour. <laughs> no. 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 We, but we had uh, about 12 and a half years to get the bugs out. Right. Before I... joining the stellar <laughs> team of programming at Odyssey One. Yes. And of those 12 years, we had a daily, a daily, a weekly show. That uh, was free, that uh, was available all sorts of places. Dare I say it changed the way people listen to the internet. We had that on our t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. And yet, uh, and yet, we, and now, we see... The, and <laughs> now, we're replacing that on our t-shirts with Chill Back All. Listen, who will? <laughs> That's right. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. so after 12 and a half years and 652 shows... Welcome to season two Yay. of your Chill Back Hollywood Hour. We're thrilled to be on Odyssey, and we thought we would, uh, for newcomers, we would kind of reset the table right. and let you know what this show is about, what we're all about, what you can look forward to for the next 12 and a half years. <laughs> or more. Which will bring it to just 25. I think a quarter of a century <laughs> of, podcasting of podcasting. For free. As yeah. I like to think of it, 25 years of podcasting, two years of entertainment. <laughs> anyway. I'm entertained. The, one of the things is, Dean, yes. uh, apropos of you being here and uh, me being back here, we mm -hmm. both travel a great deal. We do. We've seen a lot of uh, of the world. The hard way. <laughs> the hard way. With the uh, tire on the ground. I mean, it started when I used to tour with the Ice Capades. Uh, my job was rinsing the tights. I did not no, know that. I didn't, no, didn't, I didn't know, know it either. I, I didn't know it either. Uh, so uh, you now live in Detroit, Michigan? De Detroit, Michigan. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, I'm at uh, mile 14. So I'm 14 miles from the Detroit River, which is uh, the... Just stop by. Just stop by. X-Files well, yeah. fans, stop <laughs> by. Say stop hello. By. Stop by mile 14 and uh, Woodward Avenue. You'll see me there at the wing stop. I don't know. I have two questions for you. Yes. Uh, I would like you to ignore the first and answer the second. I always do. The first question is, Dean, are sex robots a threat <laughs> to the future? And secondly... Uh, how was the road trip? You traveled uh, not only with your lady love, but with your uh, Doberman puppy and a black cat. A black cat and a Doberman puppy. They were all uh, champs. Uh, none of this running around the car, kitty litter everywhere that you talked about. I don't know what the heck that story is. But uh, the cat. But that's just when I drive with Lily. <laughs> we, was, we, uh, miss we miss and fuzz, and so we yeah. just we toss kitty litter at each kitty other. Kitty litter everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, we uh, we the cat uh, slept every time we drove. The dog sat beside the cat in the carrier bag, uh, and then we would stop at a dog park, uh, maybe in Albuquerque or perhaps one over there in Amarillo, and uh, then everybody would have a runaround. Uh, we get some snacks, hit the road again, and get to a hotel that was pet friendly. So uh, you uh, you're driving all the way from Detroit to uh, to Los Angeles. You yes. know 
I love a good road trip. I especially love two-lane blacktop. Yeah. Did you get off the interstate and do any of the extant Route 66? Uh, we did a couple of times, but we couldn't really. We had a, a time limit. On our way back is where we're really going to explore the original Route 66. Oh, good. Good, yeah. good. There was, a weather, there was weather concerns coming. As you know, we threaded a needle so fine, we had hit sunny weather. We only had a wee bit of dusting of snow in Flagstaff, Arizona, and everything else was perfect. Had we left one day later or one day sooner, we would have been inundated with the most miserable weather I've ever seen pictures of. I flew back from uh, Memphis, you know, a 6 a.m. flight. It's hard, actually, to get... Uh, nonstop flights from Los Angeles to Memphis and vice versa. Right. Because uh, Delta bought Northwest. It was a hub for Northwest for many years. Delta bought Northwest and moved the hub to Atlanta. Right. You know, you would think an airline <laughs> named Delta would have at least one hub somewhere near the Delta. <laughs> that makes me angry. But anyway, the point was a 6 a.m. flight. And, uh, and people would say, oh, my God, why? You know, yeah. like we have to get to the airport before the hotel shuttles are even running to take you to the yeah, airport. Right. But... Two things. One, you go for the nonstop, but also get that earliest flight possible because Delays weather been, yeah. can delay everything. And uh, sure enough, we were we were lucky to get out. Right? Because then the weather came in, and then everybody spends the night at the airport. Not to say that Memphis is, isn't a great city. So when I say lucky <laughs> to get out, I don't mean like don't, we were no, climbing been, the wall. No, but like Oakland, uh, the Oakland airport, the power went out. They were running on emergency generators, for crying out loud. Like, if you got out early, that was great. But if you're there with a blackout, <laughs> don't yeah. forget it. Forget about flying anywhere. Uh, so I did. We, we departed uh, on my birthday for Memphis. Spent my birthday at the Civil Rights Museum. It's oh, something yeah. I've always wanted to see in the old Lorraine Hotel. Yes. Right where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, a couple quick takes takeaway. Right. Uh, first of all, they've preserved the facade of the old Lorraine Hotel. Yeah. Beautifully. The signage, the parking lot, and the room uh. where he stayed and the adjoining room and the balcony where the assassination took uh, place. Pointing. But what's great is the museum itself is kind of in a soundstage warehouse that is built out behind the facade. Ah. So you, you don't realize as you're winding through the, the, the many, many rooms, and it's maybe the best museum, certainly a social issue museum I've ever been to. It is right. just so well laid out, and the storytelling and the facts are presented, and the set and production design and the interactive nature of it. It, it was uh, three hours, and I would gladly go again because I wow. could spend another three hours... But anyway, you then are quite surprised when you come out and there's his room and there's the balcony. Oh, it and, ends with that. Oh. Uh, and so it's, uh, and it ends right before that is his speech that he gave the night before. Right. Where it's quite apparent he kind of sensed That's that something was happening. Doom is, doom is New Year. You know, as, as Lily pointed out, what had started to enter into his speeches in the previous months were references for the need to redistribute wealth in this country. Oh. And think about that. Like, yeah. he survived all the speeches about uh, against the war, war, against racism, against Jim Crow in favor of integration, all these hot-button topics that people had passionate, even violent uh, attitudes towards. Right. But he doesn't survive advocating the redistribution right. of wealth. The one percenter. 
That's yeah. a surprise. That's fascinating. And we do occasionally touch on the conspiratorial on this, your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Right. Anyway, I... Um, oh, yeah, we're resetting the show. I spent most of uh, the week, though, down in the Mississippi Delta, mm-hmm. getting to visit uh, the family and the relatives of uh, Lily's father. Right. And uh, I always love it. I, I love that area of the country in a way that almost defies words. <laughs> um, and when people ask why, I say, well, you know, there's a reason that all our best music and all our best uh, storytellers hailed from those shores. Right. The sounds and the stories of what it means to be a human being, uh, at least as expressed in American culture, is best expressed through the voices that hailed from those shores. Wow. So, uh, And that still exists? That culture's still there? Oh, my God. Uh, we stayed in Cleveland, Mississippi, which is really I a jewel. I didn't know there jewel. was a Cleveland, It's really a jewel. It's the home of Delta State. It's home of the second of two Grammy museums, so vastly superior to the Grammy Museum in Los Angeles. Really? Even though our foundation gave a grant to the one locally. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it, it is really just, it's a gem of a small town. And uh, one of the things we attended on Tuesday, on Tuesday night, we went to an event called uh, uh, Tuesday Night Pickers. <laughs> and I will tell you about that in live event of the week a little okay. bit later. But I want to share this with you. Um, when I, before I was first uh, ever going to visit uh, Rosedale, the uh, Delta town of brotherly love. Of course. And the Mississippi Delta. Uh, I met several of these uh, of my future relatives at a wedding in Nashville. Okay, and one of them pulled me aside and said, "We're so glad you're coming to Rosedale. Please, when you get back to Los Angeles, tell people Mississippi isn't what they think it is." <laughs> and and I looked at Lily and I said, "What is, what it, is it? We th- they <laughs> think we think it is right." Uh, I, I I think I may have found an answer <laughs> when. Uh, the day after Thanksgiving, I, yeah. uh, Thanksgiving night, I found myself passionately rooting for Ole Miss in their <laughs> annual rivalry football game against Mississippi State. Right. And the next day, I wake up to the following headlines in all my news apps. <laughs> That's it. Something along the lines of Ole Miss dog urination celebration costs team the game. <laughs> Okay, so this takes some unpacking. There's a dog urination celebration. So one of the players who had scored what ought to have been the tying touchdown right, uh, stays on all fours, lifts a leg, and pretends to be a dog urinating on his <laughs> opponents, uh, which gets a 15-yard celebration penalty, pushes the extra point out of the range of the probable into the difficult they miss the extra point and that's how they lose the game so but when i read the headline Ole miss dog urination celebration cost team game i thought this is what they think (laughs) we think of when we think of mississippi i have an answer you got the whole story in the headline i mean that's sort of (laughs) what headlines have to do now you have to put the whole story in a single headline or you're not going to read it so you can't say old miss lost the game it's like oh too bad no, he lost it because of a dog urination celebration, which in itself, I think, is a good name for our next podcast, maybe. <laughs> well, it's a, new, it's a new subject that we will explore. Anyway, we do talk about our travels uh, from time to time, and if you're interested in that, we're making available two of our shows from the vault this very week, uh, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour 140. 
which was when you and I were literally loaded into a car, I think a RAV4, and we were fleeing Canada, (laughs) rural, icy Canada, and we were crossing over the border into Idaho. Oh, yes. And uh, we recorded a conversation while doing show. So it's Chill Pack Hollywood Hour number 140, Take to the Open Road with us. <laughs> right. The other one uh, that involves travel that I make it available this week and that the good folks at uh, Odyssey Radio uh, <laughs> are making available is uh, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour number 127. Oh, yes. And it's a show we did live in Berlin. Oh, on stage at the uh, uh, X-Fest convention. At an X-Fest convention, we were there in Berlin uh, filming for our documentary, The Truth is Out There. Right. And uh, we did a uh, an on-stage show, took questions from the audience, and it was great, great fun. So a couple of uh, a couple of shows, if you enjoy uh, travelogues, <laughs> yes. if you enjoy live audiences, right. if you just... If you're like us, or if you just plain like us, <laughs> you'll enjoy these shows. Yes. And Let's now, uh, one of the places we visit each and every week that right. we travel into is it's... a little room we've set aside mm-hmm. that we call the Chill Pack Morgue. Yes. And it's uh, for something we call Celebrity Deaths. Celebrity Deaths. This is a segment where we celebrate the lives, the contributions, the legacies of personages from show business, from media. Uh, why do we? Right why do we do this, Dean? Well, because uh, one uh, remembers uh, our fellow performers, our fellow thespians, or uh, but we, we also do support. novelists, we do musicians, filmmakers, right. so many dancers. Uh, I like to put it this way. Mm-hmm. We do this because it's always more sad when someone in show business <laughs> dies than when a normal person dies. Yeah, no, no, that's not right at all. That's no, not. one of the reasons I think we really got into this was because it's uh, it's a fascinating axiom that uh, we've found to be true anyway, that no matter how famous someone is, perhaps the most interesting things about them might be little known. Little known. Things you did not know. Uh, yeah. And it comes up time and time and again. And, and then there's other figures who have been known in history because of a particular event and uh, the stories surrounding that event. And we like to uh, learn... Uh, More about them. Uh, about them. Yes, um, their background and history. Let's, let's uh, just... We'll just do one, one? Uh, this okay. week. Who died? As an example. As an example. Uh, Michael J. Pollard was an actor. I think right. we can both agree right. on that. Michael J. Pollard. He barely said a word in The Russians Are Coming <laughs> okay. and was nevertheless hilarious. Right. It leads to him being cast in and giving an iconic performance in Bonnie and Clyde, for which he received both Oscar and Golden Globe nominations for Best Supporting Actor. Wow. Uh, After playing the hapless getaway driver who ultimately got his gang caught. Right. right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Pollard went on to starring roles in Little Little Faust and Big Halsey. In 1970, uh, right? Dirty Little Billy in 1972, <laughs> and uh, continued to appear in character roles in notable movies as well as independent films throughout the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, including Scrooge, right? Dick Tracy, oh yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses, <laughs> which you have some strong feelings about. <laughs> 
How many corpses? Have you ever counted the corpses? Really? Is there a thousand corpses in that house? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, he was a stage actor as well, including originating the role of Hugo Peabody in the original 1960 Broadway cast Bye Bye Birdie. Did you know I that? I did not know that. That's okay. amazing. Uh, I also, of course, he was uh, uh, fondly remembered for his many television appearances. Mm -hmm. uh, he played Maynard G. Krebs' cousin on a 1959 episode of The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. <laughs> wow. Okay. He appeared... This is brilliant casting. I did not know this, and this is brilliant <laughs> friggin' casting. Okay. Uh, Mr. Mixelplick? How do you pronounce uh, Superman's... Is that it? Oh, yeah. His Mixel arch villain? Uh, yeah. He played him on TV's Superboy. What? He's really good casting That's for that That's pretty part. good, actually. In 1989. Uh, he also made appearances on I Spy, Lost in Space, Simon and Simon, and Tales from the Crypt. He died on November 21st of uh, this uh, year uh -huh. uh, of cardiac arrest oh. at the age of 80. Wow. Um, and in addition to all that, right. I understand that uh, Odyssey Radio Network... <laughs> which can be found at odyssey1.com, right. uh, that the listeners uh, and, and many of the programming uh, are interested in uh, science fiction. Oh, yeah. And Michael J. Pollard had some uh, serious <laughs> science fiction bona, bona fides. Bona fides? Uh, because he guest starred as the leader of a planet of children <laughs> on the 1966 episode of Star uh. Trek... Miri, right from which we get this all-time great William Shatner clip. Blah blah blah. blah, 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 blah. No blah blah blah. <laughs> On the head. Boink boink. All right. If we may, before we close up the Chill Pack Morgue, uh, I would like to remember uh, someone else who died, Carolyn Ann Cutill, mm. who was born September fifteenth, nineteen thirty-six. She gave birth to me oh. on November 25th, 1968, and a week ago at 2.30 a.m. on my birthday, uh, she shuffled off the mortal coil. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, a friend of mine, uh, he had a grandfather who, who used to say, first one to heaven calls the dogs. <laughs> and uh, oh. so I trust that my mom is uh, rounding up all uh, the dogs and the cats right. uh, that went before her and that she's uh, surrounded by them. Uh, I want to share three stories Fantastic. Uh, uh, from my mom. The first was when I told her that uh, I really was sure I wanted to uh, pursue filmmaking. Uh, <laughs> she said, she thought about it and she said, there will never be enough people creating beautiful things in this world. Aww, that was her response. That was good. Uh, at a time in my life when I was really struggling as a filmmaker and really uh, feeling the, the brunt of that struggle, she uh, let me know that uh, there was never any reason for me to consider myself a failure if I decided that there was something else that I would rather do. Oh. Uh, and I said to her mom, I wish like hell. Uh, <laughs> there was something I else could I'd do, do uh, but there's nothing else that turns me on. Right. Like this. Bathroom um, tiling, nothing. And finally, speaking of my birthday, this was not the first time she upstaged uh, oh, my birthday. birthday. Um, one time I, I came home for a birthday. I forget how old I was, but I was certainly in my, my 20s, maybe early 30s. Let's say that. And she made a birthday cake for me. Uh, happy That's birthday, nice. Philip! It said on it, and my name was misspelled. 
And uh, I said, I, I said, I, Mom, you know, you know, not only has it been my name all my life, which is now, you know, let's say 30 years old. Right. But it's also the, the name of your husband, <laughs> who you've been married to forever. Right. And she uh, just looked at me and said, well, maybe if you came back home more often, I'd remember how to spell your name. <laughs> Aw. Well, that's good. Did you keep that cake? I would that, that I keep it. I, <laughs> I ate it. I ate it as ate fast it. as I could. Oh, that's hilarious. All right. So my mom, uh, yeah, 2.30. 2.30 at 3.30, I was catching a, a plane to Memphis. Wow. That it, was that. Uh, it was, uh, you know. Um, the journey. It was a long, longer than I, I wish it had been uh, slow uh, descent there for her. Right. Um, though I must say, up until a couple weeks before, it never really dawned on me. I always just thought, well, my mom will bounce back. She always does. Right. Um, but then when she had a series of strokes and they, they brought her in, and uh, much to their surprise in doing EKGs and things like that, they found that uh, she seemed to have grown a bypass. I know. Around you, a major... yeah, how does one do that? And they asked, uh, you know, is this consistent with, like, baseline scans she's had through the years? And uh, my sister said, uh, we don't know. She hasn't seen a doctor since my brother was born. And, and <laughs> this was my 51st birthday. Wow. So that'll uh, let you know. That's amazing. Uh, something. All I didn't right. know you could spontaneously grow a bypass. Wouldn't that be great if that's the thing? Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, we talk about on this show a lot right. are uh, our movies. Yes, we go see them, uh, and we make them. We make them. We are in some. And we've come at this business from all angles. From I all mean, angles. Uh, you are an ex-dancer. You're a former <laughs> dancer. I thought we weren't going to talk about it. And I... Uh, in addition to being a filmmaker, I'm a former uh, development and production executive, right? And a former uh, foreign, foreign distribution distribution di- executive. Guy. So we come at this ang- uh, at this business from a lot of different angles, right? And so you'll hear us talk about movies in business uh, formats, uh, as well as reviewing movies. And right. by the way, this is a great, great time for movies. Uh, in the coming weeks, uh, or sometime in January, you'll hear us count down our best films. Of 2019. Right. And on our last show of this year, you'll hear us count down the best films of the decade. Good Lord. You're listening to Odyssey. We're back. This is your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour on Odyssey Radio. I'm Phil Larinus. I'm Dean Haglund. That is Dean Haglund. And uh, yes, so we're going to be having a lot of shows that are all about the movies coming up. Including next week. What are we doing? We will have a special guest, our first guest of season two. <laughs> wow. Uh, to help us discuss two great Francis Coppola classics right. that were restored and re released to the big screen in recent months. All right. So that's next week. So let's not show. talk about that. Uh, and if you want to hear, a little preview of oh. what our best of the decade show might sound like. <laughs> like uh, this? Uh, we are also making available this week from the vaults, Chill Pack Hollywood Hour number 137. Oh. Which was the best of the decade, 2000 to 2009. Wow. What were the movies then? <laughs> How would culture has changed? Yeah. yeah. So you'll have to listen to find out. Yeah, right? Uh, you know, another way that we discuss movies... Uh, is that we have traditionally 
mm-hmm. quite often discussed the need for, and fortunately, ultimately, the, the growing opportunity for women in positions of creative authority behind the camera. Absolutely. We used to regularly champion female-directed films. We used to. Because now I feel like we're at the point where we get to call them films. Right. Yeah, you don't have to say female-directed anymore. It's not out of the ordinary, and that's That's fantastic. In fact, uh, BBC reported that there was a recent uh, survey Uh done of critics, historians, filmmakers around the world, apropos of kind of like the sight and sound poll. But they did an article uh, about the hundred... Uh, greatest films directed by women of right. all time. Uh-huh. And uh, I uh, saw that their number 99 from Joanna Hogg, uh, 2019's The Souvenir, a recent film right there that's going to make so many uh, top 10 lists this year. Right. Uh, and which already has a sequel being what? made. Uh, a, a, me- <laughs> a memoir film about film school days that has a sequel. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait. Um, I did I did see The Souvenir, and there's wonderful lead performances in it, and it's a very poetic film. But you know how I feel uh, about movies about <laughs> movies? Love the player. Love Eight and a Half. Right. But, uh, but especially Eight and a Half is about psychology. It's about right. such a larger Creation, range of yes, things. And, issues. and they originally weren't going to have it be... Uh, about a filmmaker, but Mastriani and Fellini realized in production, we need it to be this because these are the details we know. This is what we need to make it be authentic, to Ah. pin down the ordinary reality in authenticity. Um, And I just, I sort of, I don't know. I just... (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you write what you know. and if I know, and that's what's terrible. So go out, uh, experience things. Something else. Know something else, yeah. (laughs) Anyway, but uh, I was thrilled. I've been watching this weekend because I've been re-watching so many great films from the decade in preparation. Look at you. And the movie I've been watching this weekend uh, from Germany, Tony Erdman from 2016 by Marin Day is number eight all time, uh, according to this list on uh, the best films directed by women. And it certainly... What, what's that movie called? It's Tony Erdman. Oh. Uh, and it's was, certainly, without a doubt, if we were to do the 10 best comedies of the decade, it would be number one, and there wouldn't be probably a two through nine. Wow. Um, it's, it's so funny. You know, there was supposed to be an American... Version. Remake. Yeah. Uh, Nicholson was coming out of retirement, and Kristen Wiig was going to play his daughter. That's actually great casting. Yeah. Uh, but then quietly he dropped out. I mean, Ooh. you know, he he's not gonna he's not gonna come back. Right. Again. Anyway, uh, so, for, that's for, sad. for those that care, the late great Agnes Varda was the most popular director on that. She had six films in the top one hundred. Wow. Uh, followed by Catherine Bigelow, Claire yes. Denis, mm-hmm. Lynn Ramsey. And Sofia Coppola, Look who, at that. who yes. directed number five's Lost in Translation. Lost. Great film. Um, but this is not to overlook the important contribution by women on screen. Right. And in the coming weeks, because a loyal listener wrote us and asked us to, we will be offering up some of our favorite speeches. All right. On film from female <laughs> actors. Right. We got to work that one. And yes. We answer our emails. Oh, that's right. On the show. That's Where, what we mean when we say it's your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. Where can people write us? They can write us at chillpackhollywood at yahoo.com. That's chillpackhollywood, C-H-I-L-L-P-A-K, Hollywood, at yahoo.com. How easy is that? Now, do we want to 
let's save the story for why we're called Chill Pack Hollywood <laughs> yes. Hour. Yes, for an episode. A future show. Future that would show. be good. Okay, yeah, that's yeah. something we're, we're teasing with. But uh, two caveats right. on people writing us and expecting us to read it on the uh, on the show, on right. the air. On the air. Uh, what are those caveats, Dean? Well, the first, it, uh, it has to uh, improve upon the silence. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's that's a nice way of saying we have to find it interesting. <laughs> that's right, right? Uh, you know, don't say anything unless it improves upon the silence. We've said that on the show before. We say it again uh, in email form. And uh, and then what we have to say in response to that must also improve upon the silence. That's right. Right. We have to have something interesting to right. say. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but we do love hearing from everybody. And uh, again, showpackhollywood at yahoo.com. Now, uh, one of the things that we do discuss, we love to do, what is juicier, what is sexier, what is more exciting? I don't know. Than a show business lawsuit, Dean. <laughs> and these often come to us via our listeners. Right. As did this lawsuit of the week. The Chill Pack Hollywood Lawsuit of the Week. Hello, Dean and Phil. Right. This email begins from Agent Summer. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for your interest in my last email regarding female monologues. Yes. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on the subject. Mm -hmm. I'm writing regarding a lawsuit which may be of interest to you and your listeners. A man is suing Madonna (laughs) regarding the change in time and subsequent late start of her yet-to-take-place concert, indicating that due to the late hour, he and other fans would not be able to attend and still meet their next-day obligations, school, work, and so on. Additionally, Madonna has been known to be late for previous concerts, Mm -hmm. upsetting her fans. (laughs) There's something that you all need to understand, Madonna said during her Las Vegas concert while perched atop a piano, legs swinging, And And that that is, is, a queen is never late. (laughs) In August, when this man who brought the lawsuit bought tickets to Madonna's December 17th show at the Fillmore Miami Beach, the concert was scheduled to begin at 8.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. But on October 23rd, Madonna and Live Nation changed the start time for that show and several others to 10.30 p.m., Okay, the suit alleges. For those like Hollander, the man in question who bought tickets and now don't want to attend a concert that late, boy, don't (laughs) want to. (laughs) Don't want to. A refund has not been offered, Mm. he alleges. And attempts to resell won't make up for the money lost as tickets have now suffered an extreme loss of value. That's a quote from the lawsuit. (laughs) Because of the times uh, change, he alleges. That makes reselling... Impossible. (laughs) Um, He originally bought three tickets to Madonna's Miami Beach show, spending more than a thousand bucks, he says in the filing. But since the show is now starting later than originally planned, he claims that he and other ticket holders, quote, suffered actual and consequential damages, including but not limited to loss of consideration paid and the devaluation of the ticket. Well, okay, there's a lot to unpack. Now, first, if you know anything about Madonna, and thanks to Patty, I know a lot about Madonna because I've been to five of her concerts. All of them start at 10.30, regardless of what time it says on the ticket. Her pre-stage ritual, if you've seen her documentary, is elaborate. Uh, with the dancers, the crew, the backup singer, she has moments with all of them. She uh, warms up her voice. And, uh, and now, as she's doing this Madam X tour, which I assume this is what the lawsuit is with, 
it is a much more uh, theatrical performance. So it requires, I'm sure, even more uh, pre-show warm-up ritual, that kind of stuff. So that said, uh, our tickets, when we went to see her in Chicago, specifically said, come two hours early because you have to give up, give up your cell phone and your smartwatches because she doesn't want anybody filming or not experiencing the show in real time, not mediating the show. It's not even about filming the show, but about doing all that. So that requires everybody locking their phone up in these canvas bags. Uh, you get to keep that bag, but it's locked, and they unlock it as you leave. Um, uh, so, yeah, that takes a, a lot of time. And then there's a merchandise table, and there's a bar, and there's, you know, so all that. So you uh, both have um, experience with this mm-hmm. as someone who attends Madonna concerts. Right. And also someone who performs live regularly. Right. And it does strike me that we have two issues that may well be best kept separate here. <laughs> okay. Although it is called show business, right. the business of putting on a show, nothing more exemplifies that than a concert. Right. Uh there, there does seem to be two prongs to this argument, which is the show element and the business of marketing and selling it. And right. where are those dovetailing well, and where might there be a problem that could be um, improved upon? Focusing on the artist, right? right? Uh, my experience is a lot of times artists have no idea when the show is advertised as to begin. They have a set routine. Yes, and and different cities are going to advertise it differently, quite frankly. Different yeah. venues are going to advertise it differently. They're going to open their doors trying to get people in so that they can sell more merch, sell more liquor, <laughs> sell right. all these things. I have been to concerts at the Greek theater here where the performer comes on. They're not late as far as they know. And then when they're about to go into their encore, that um, curfew hits. Oh, right. And they got to be out. And their curfew <laughs> literally gets cut, like powers off, second Power- song into the encore. <laughs> and they're looking around like, what, what the, the hell? hell? When did the Greek theater become a venue for country bumpkins of the of the first order? <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means. I don't but anyway, um, so they have their routines. Right. Right? And a lot of times these are not marketed and built around their routines. I think what you're describing is brilliant, though. If we know we don't want this mediated, if we know we don't want cameras, if we don't want this, the process of security and all this, getting people there two hours early... And honestly, I don't think two hours, there's probably opening acts. I I don't think that's too extreme, quite frankly. Um, But also, there's another element into the mix here, which is we have grown increasingly to be a culture where people show up late. (laughs) Right. To think. Yes, exactly. They show up late or they don't show up. And there's this uh, sense of entitlement on that that I now I'm here, now I want my thing, even though I'm late, even though I have technically been inconsiderate to the show. Isn't this crazy that through our mediated culture and where everything becomes available to us so much easier mm-hmm. through the click of button, as we've talked about, because you have less I- invested in it, uh, it becomes disposable right. more. And what I and I'm not saying that that's what happened with this gentleman. No, I'm just saying in general with audiences, it's crazy because as everything's become easier and more available, 
people have less skin in the game and yet feel more entitled. That's a weird, weird Isn't that combo. weird? Yeah, but that's it is. something I would never have guessed would, would have been happen. a phenomenon. But you use the word entitled. Right. Right? Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you go to a Broadway show, people aren't even dressed up. <laughs> yeah, people I mean. are coming after the curtain. People are being seated after the curtain. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah. It's affecting the enjoyment of other audience members. Um, At least Blue Man Group, when they were still off-Broadway, would do that thing where they would shame a latecomer. So if you knew not to come late if you have seen Blue Man Group before, because they would film you walking down the aisle, they would project your image, they would all stop whatever they were doing wherever in the show, and uh, that latecomer would then become part of the performance art hilarity. Uh, so... Uh, that was one way to curtail latecomers. Uh, it worked very effectively when they were an off-Broadway show because everybody I talked to going, oh, you going to Blue Man Group? Get there on time. <laughs> that was the thing. So, but uh, uh, the other... And uh, as a performer, isn't it awful when, like, you know, okay, I better hold the curtain Yeah, because we're going to have a lot of latecomers. Yeah, or you have to start again. Or I do the joke where, oh, you're late, Everybody in the audience has stood up, said their name, and told us a little bit about themselves. Go ahead. Oh, that's <laughs> and then, great. And then they start standing up, and they start saying stuff. And I go, no one did that. You're the only one that did that. Now sit the hell down. Now sit the hell down, and they're all ashamed. All right. Um... So, yeah. The other thing, 10.30 start at night on a weeknight. I think that's the other issue. I've seen Madonna concerts on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Start at 10.30. It's a two-hour show. You get home at 12.30. And, 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 and still have to get to work. Here's the thing. If that is consistently when she goes on and that is when she's going to do the best show, then that is what she should do. Right. Because her obligation is to give people their money's worth. Right. Period. And, um, and so what works for her? There is the separate element here, which is the advertising. advertising. These are being advertised differently, if they're being marketed differently, and if they're not giving the explanation for it... Um, if indeed it was posted that the show starts at 8.30 and then later it was changed to 10.30, it is unthinkable to me that you can't exchange your tickets, that you can't get a refund, for example. I, um, I don't think the artist should be part of this particular lawsuit. It would also be a different case if an artist had a habit, as we know many artists have, especially in music through the years, of being unreliable in terms of even showing up. Right. Or showing up hours late. I mean, yeah. the, the old uh, round midnight. When are you going on? Round, round midnight. midnight. Yeah. Um, and I got a story about that in Live Event of the Week. In just a minute, <laughs> I mentioned Tuesday Night Pickers, didn't right. I? Uh, anyway, um, and then you still, I think, as a ticket holder, you sue the venue, you sue the promoter, and if it is a problem that is due to the unreliability of the performer, well, that's the person that'll be able, that's the group that'll put right. the pressure on the performer to be reliable. And but the managers and the agents will do that. But this is not a case of the artist being unreliable. Absolutely this not. is a, a, a case of a performer doing absolutely everything to make sure they are reliable again and again and again and again. Right. Have, yeah, the performance be at the top of a game, which happens to be peaking at a biorhythm of 10.30 p.m. Yeah. Now, to say that, oh, well, now the ticket price is diminished because of the late start time. You would have to prove that. Wow, that is, that is a tough one. Yeah. And that is ridiculous. If you're a Madonna fan, you already know she starts late, and you're going to pay the prices for that ticket 
regardless of what time it starts. I know. I mean, and also, if you already had the thousand bucks to shell out for it, <laughs> and now they're decreased in value a little bit, right? Oh, cry me a river. <laughs> I know. I know. Dear so, Lord, other people have problems. I want that in front of a jury. <laughs> I want it in front of a jury of people that, you know, yeah, go, don't have a thousand bucks to spend just, on Madonna uh, tickets. Exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, and yet, who might be treated to a live appearance by Madonna <laughs> in, in, the, in the lawsuit. Yeah, she would show up at 10 going, listen to how terrible I sound at 10 in the morning. I mean, I am no fan, of course, of the corporate exploitation, and it is ridiculous, uh, some of the practices that these promoters and, and, yeah, and have. Absolutely. Um, and they should be held accountable. But this is not a case of an artist in any way uh, right. being, so, being irresponsible. So good luck to that guy. And that's a beautiful segue into uh, this week's live event of the week. The Chill Pack Hollywood live event of the week. Did you hear that I went to Tuesday Night Pickers? I heard about this in Tuesday Cleveland. Night. Yes, I don't know. Mississippi. Okay. Cleveland, Mississippi. So this is a Tuesday night event of I that's assume. been going on decades, right? And it's uh, it's a, a dozen. Uh, guitar players and some keyboardists and fiddlers and a whole lot of singers banjo? and they just and banjo? they go around and they uh, and they do whatever songs they want to do. Wow! And uh, so we'd been hearing that this is a thing that you need to do. So, uh, original... so it's a spontaneous kind of open mic of musicians. No, well, but they're a collective. They're a group. Okay. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was said. It was listed. Uh, as being five thirty in the in the papers and online and everything like that, so uh, we showed up and uh, they haven't started setting up yet. Yeah, at five thirty. And so the guy says, "Ah, we go on round six. <laughs> so we went to dinner. Uh -huh. We figure, well, we'll miss like half of it. We show up at seven fifteen for the first performer. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, it was spectacular, Dean. Just there's so much talent down there. Music is such. A, a way of life part of for them. There. And uh, it was really touching. At one point, this is the day after my birthday, and uh, at one point, one of the singers actually stopped everything and said, does anybody have a birthday? Ah, I raised my hand. And so they sing happy birthday to me. And then the next uh, performer up, making her first appearance there, the great-granddaughter of the man who started Tuesday Night Pictures. And she gets up, and she sings... Immediately after they sing Happy Birthday to me, Will the Circle Be Unbroken? Ah, the, the Carter family classic right. yeah. about the day your mother dies. Wow. And um, I had been walking around Memphis uh, feeling very numb the right. day that my mom died. And, and I've, uh, you know, it's the only time I've ever had my mom die. So I don't know if right. this is ordinary, if this is a thing. And uh, it's not that I was numb to everything. Um, I was quite moved by the Civil Rights Museum, but uh, but about this and all, uh, I, I was really numb. And, and so the next day I'm at Tuesday Night Pickers, she sings Will the Circle Be Unbroken, and immediately the uh, waterworks the water start. Happen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, wait a sec. Now, did she already pre-rehearse the song, or do they all... No, she was meeting them then. Them, then she said, hey, let's do uh, Circle Be Unbroken in, hey, give me in, a, in C. Give me a, give me a, a C, bouncy C, a bouncy C. <laughs> really? Yeah, this is how it does. Wow. Because these people, music is such a part of their life. So they know all the key and the harmony yeah. and doing it without Everyone rehearsal. down there is talent, has talent. Everyone can tell a story. Everyone you can know, sing a song. Similarly, in Canada, there's Newfoundland, where everybody has a fiddle or guitar and sits around the uh, the table all winter. 
singing and telling jokes and and uh, and playing the fiddle. And this sounds very similar in uh, in uh, cultural milieu, as it were. I must go. Cleveland, Mississippi. Mississippi. It is fantastic. Yeah, oh. you must go. I will get you booked to do improv. <laughs> oh, really? That would be fantastic. You would love it. Would it's a university it. town, after all. Wow. All right. Uh, another segment that we do from time to time is something called the explanation <laughs> of the week. Right. And this week, I thought we would explain the Paramount Consent Decrees. Oh. Since it is a show business show and we <laughs> right. talk about movies, here's your explanation of the week. The Chill Pack Hollywood Explanation of the Week. The Justice Department filed a motion Friday in a New York federal court to terminate the Paramount Consent Decrees. And I've been saying on the show <laughs> for the last couple of years that this needed to happen. Needed that Netflix to and the like needed to make this happen. These are 71-year-old rules right. that have restricted film distributors' control over the exhibition in theaters. Right. It has been ridiculous. Way back when... Uh, it was deemed that they didn't want a vertically integrated monopoly right. this is in the monopoly film tr- business. Trust. Yes. So your filmmakers and your film showers had to be two different entities, two different companies. And uh, so the result is, all these decades later, one company can own the company that makes it, the company that uh, distributes it. They can own television networks. They can have streaming services. Right. They can have home video but they can't own the movie theater. <laughs> right. That's the one right. thing. That's the, the and, linchpin. And um, and it's it's really gotten to a point where clearly, as we've talked about on the show, people want to go to the movies. There's an appetite for that. Um, movie Pass showed this. Uh, the occasional blockbuster will show this. But the uh, but the finance uh, behind how movie theaters operate is not tenable anymore. Right. And needs to change. Right. And uh, one of the ways you would do it is by getting rid of the Paramount Consent Decrees. Right. Right. Uh, So 71 years old. So uh, among things that could happen, and as I've always uh, argued the future is, you could end up seeing Netflix theaters. Right. These great movies that they're making, you want to see them on the big screen, now you can. Right. And it's part of your subscription plan. Fun. Uh, the other thing that the decrees prohibited were things such as the proc- practice of block booking. And this is in foreign film sales, what we do all the time. In right. sales to television, this is what you do all the time. You want this title, you've got to buy these other four titles right. as well. Often dogs. You like throw a couple of uh, stinkers in Maybe, with a couple of Maybe, but it's a range. This is one of the reasons that the range of uh, budgets made right. by the studios has completely disappeared. There's micro-budget and huge budget and nothing in between. Right. Even though there's so many great stories that ought to be told at that level. Well, now they can get theatrical screens because if you want this $200 million budgeted film, you need to take a couple of our $40 million budgeted films. Film. Right. It's not just about burying the dogs. It's about making sure that lesser budgeted films that therefore don't have 200 million in marketing right uh, that's your thing can get screens and can find audiences right and i bet you another one of the practices that will then change 
is the percentage of the box office dollar. When that goes to the studios, when it goes to the theaters, and films might be able to hold theater screens longer for audiences to find them. Exactly, because right now, the first week is a 90-10 split, the second week's 80-20, third week is 70-30, and so on. So the longer, if a, if a movie's a sleeper, Technically, it's bad for the studio because then you're down to a 50-50, 40-60 inverse split. You're not making money on stuff like Big Fat Greek Wedding. It's an excellent example. A movie that stuck around for two years, finding an audience slowly, and uh, lo and behold, it took a long time for that $300 million to get back to Playtone and the studios that made it. So... Yes, I agree. Breaking down that desperate first opening weekend, uh, rally, rally, who, and then the thing disappearing off the screens immediately would be an excellent thing to see go away. One final uh, su subject heading uh, category that we often <laughs> delve into is what we're reading. Oh, yes. And it also has a wonderful jingle that sounds something like this. <laughs> been a little while since we discussed this, and one of the most recent books that I brought up, the first book that I read after getting my eyesight restored, right. this kid had gone pretty much blind and right. had not been able to read for a year, uh, was, a, was a memoir called Where Have I Been All My Life <laughs> by Annette Andre. Right. And uh, I, I closed this week's show by bringing that up, because Annette Andre acted alongside the likes of Peter Graves, mm -hmm. Bob Hope. Big deal. Benny Hill. Funny stuff. Roger Moore. Really? <laughs> Still funny. Tony Curtis. Yeah. Peter Wingard. Patrick McGowan. Wow. Richard Burton. Good Lord. Liz Taylor. Holy. Buster Keaton. Come on. Michael Crawford. And she will be our guest Come in on. January. No way. Annette Andre. I got to read her A wonderful book actress, author of Where Have I Been All My Life. Dean, what have you been reading? <laughs> uh, you know, I, uh, I've been reading a uh, treatise on uh, watercolor techniques by uh, this uh, really amazing watercolorist out of Melbourne, Joseph and I always get his last name. He just goes by Joseph Z, Z, Z uh, but it's, it's a Hungarian name, like Zubrarkev. And he does workshops all over the world. So I've been reading his fascinating painting technique of using the watercolor clock of milk, tea, and honey. Really, really interesting. See? What a <laughs> wide range of topics you get on this, your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, right. each and every week. This has been episode one of season, season two, two of your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. We got please, 600 to get it right. Please join us again next week, please. 9 p.m. Eastern on Odyssey One, Odyssey Radio <laughs> Network. I'm Phil Lairness. I'm Dean Hagland. We'll see you then. Guests of your Chill Pack Hollywood Hour stay at the Baldwin Hills Motor Inn. Promotional consideration paid for by Empire State Gas. From farm to pump, we've got great gas. Belated spoiler alert. Odyssey, dare to wonder.